We've recently renamed Everyday Design Podcast into Designing Happiness. So we're reissuing our previous favourite Everyday Design episodes under the new name Designing Happiness. And please subscribe and follow for a new Designing Happiness series, which will be issued in September 2021. Welcome to Designing Happiness, the podcast to empower and educate homeowners on how to best deliver your extension or renovation project to make sure the end result is perfect for your lifestyle, personality and taste. I'm Abigail Hall, a technical design expert, consultant to the construction industry, and for almost 15 years I've been delivering very high-end and complex renovation and restoration projects with some pretty big budgets. I've also undertaken a few of my own projects with very small budgets. Um, I've become an expert in how to design and enhance well-being and happiness through these design projects and I want to share with you my knowledge, my contacts and a few of the lessons that I've learned along the way. Each week we talk to a different expert on their field of expertise to learn the technical jargon, the easy mistakes to avoid, the need to's, the nice to's and how to get the finish you want in your budget. This week, I'm very excited because we are talking about different job roles. We're talking architect versus contractor versus builder. And I have with me Bridget Clement, who is founding partner of Loki Architecture and Development. Now, uh, Bridget is a very, she's a fabulous friend of mine, uh, professionally and personally. I love her because she has an international background, which meant she's got this great breadth of experience although I'm very lucky that she's now working predominantly in London and the Southeast. Unlike some other architects, she has got, as well as her architecture degree, two additional degrees, which really makes her an expert in the, some of the questions that we're going to be talking about today. I love her and resonate with her because her mission is to give a good name to developers. She does this through action. She engages with the communities that she's working within. I mean, she's really a social entrepreneur in this respect. She does a lot of lobbying to improve the quality of building products, particularly when it relates to sustainability and environmental impact. But mostly she works one-to-one with her clients to help educate them and empower them. So thank you, Bridget. Welcome to Everyday Design. Thank you for the invitation, Abby. I'm super excited to start talking to you. So let's go straight into it. And I'm going to start with a question, which I know you're going to hate because it's about making a mistake, not doing something perfectly. Can you tell me a brief story about when you perhaps have made a mistake and what lessons it has taught you? Woo, these are the best ones, aren't they? How do I decide? Um, all right. I mean, I think, I mean, we all have to be honest here. I mean, I mean, we make we make mistakes all the time, right? I mean, it's all a part of the learning curve. And if you're well, not making mistakes, I think you're also not challenging yourself. But I, I think, um, let's see, I think I'd like to maybe go to one of my first projects when I uh, returned to the UK after several years abroad in Switzerland. And um, yeah, I was doing a, a house renovation and extension. And the issue came up with a party wall agreement. And in this particular situation, we only shared a garden garden wall so there was not a real structural concern in terms of the the actual building fabric and a, and a party wall agreement that that's a legal document that talks about the relationship of anything that sits on the boundary there so you said yeah it's a garden wall but actually it could be it could be like a terraced house where it's the actual joining wall 
Yeah, so I mean, almost everybody that's going to be listening to this podcast will have neighbors, um, and that perimeter around your property is your is your party wall, right? Um, and and if you're in a flat, that could be your adjoining wall with your neighbor. If you're you know in a detached house, it could be that garden wall. Um, but you need to come to an agreement because what you're doing will possibly impact um, the neighbor's property. Yes. So um, there's a few ways about it, and what people do is you 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 um, you write a party wall letter to the neighbors to to notify them about your works and your intention, and um, you try to come to an agreement so they they kind of accept your work. I'm taking some shortcuts here, but but this is this is the kind of gist of it. And on this particular case, there had been some horror stories down the street of people that had got lawyers involved and they'd gone through several surveyors and it ended up costing a lot of money and extending the project for a very long amount of time. My client was quite keen to get the project going and to, you know, try to maintain it as good of a relationship with her neighbor as possible. And, you know, we're people people. So we thought, okay, what so there were some early indications that this client could potentially, or the neighbor could be a bit complicated, but we thought, yeah, we'll resolve it, no problem. And my, did that come and bite us. So there was many sleepless nights. There was a lot of uh, misunderstanding. There's a lot of gray area. There's a misunderstanding of what people are entitled to or what people presume to happen. And in the end, we had to get a surveyor anyway. This was months and months in the making and a lot of, you know, exchange. And luckily at the end of it, I mean, we uh, managed to diffuse the situation, maintain a good relationship, but it all would have been clarified at the very beginning if we would have just gotten a third party professional in to lay down the kind of legal framework. And so everybody was clear what was happening and there was no emotional, yeah, misunderstanding. Because let's be clear, I mean, building is... An emotional endeavor there's money involved there's people's homes involved there's you know there's people's actual environment so you know the dust the noise you know the disruption so it does get emotional and gets personal and what you want to do with these things is maintain as good of a relationship with your neighbors um, and the surrounding community as possible so um, I won't make that mistake again perfectly. What, a, what a great example and I love that you said that building is an emotional endeavor I love that and you're absolutely right you're your client has to live in that house for most likely many years to come. I know in that particular project, she is doing it to, to live in it. And that relationship with her neighbor, what is that worth? So what a great, what a great example. And, and also thank you for your honesty. You know, we, even as professionals, we're making mistakes and learning all the time. Yeah. And what I, what I would say to that, sorry, but I, I would also add that on. If you go ahead with this, and you you appoint you know your party will speak to your neighbors first speak to your neighbors as soon as you're thinking about doing works try to engage them be friendly with them you know it's you know you're the one that's effectively benefiting you might be uplifting the the streetscape but in the end the neighbors will be subjected to a lot of noise and disruption so you know engage with them try to try to be polite and friendly and you know try to find a way forward um, because I think just getting a letter um, through your box can come off as a bit aggressive and get you on the wrong foot. Yeah. I think that's I think that's very wise. Let's all be human. Let's learn the lessons that we have during the period of lockdown to try and be better neighbours and think about the people around us. Exactly. Love, love it. Um, now, I'm going to ask you a bit of an abstract question now. I'm trying to put myself in the, the position of our listeners. And I'm going to ask a broad question about when we get different people involved. So if I'm thinking about renovating my home and I'm going to make some substantial changes, how do I know if I need an architect, 
planning permission, the, a builder, a contractor, and anything else like a structural engineer or a project manager? And when do I get them involved? What's What are the steps? All right. So maybe we start with the base. I think you first need to find out whether the scope of your intended works requires planning permission or if it's um, under permitted development which means you are allowed to build without permission from the council. I mean, I won't go into the details of this because it's really easy to find and it um, varies. So just go on to the World Wide Web and check out your local authorities planning portal. And there you will be able to find clear guidelines on what they expect, what is allowed, and actually you can also see planning applications. So you can also look to see what other properties in the surrounding area have done. So, yeah. And that is a really useful tip. And something else that I sometimes do is also look on Google Earth because you can see if anyone else down the road has done an extension and that then helps you zone in and go, oh, okay, that's number 56. I'll go and look at what their planning application was. Exactly, exactly. And you you get really, really good ideas as well or you you also can learn very quickly what not to do. So, I mean, I'll be honest, you don't always need an architect. There are some projects that are actually, you know, quite small, quite straightforward and quite easy. And, you know, you could have a couple of doors down. Somebody had their builder who also did a bit of design work to kind of put in a, a glass frontage and, and, and extend a bit. But that always that doesn't always go right. And um, an architect. So what we do, we come in, we give you a range of ideas. We discuss what your intentions are, what your ideas are, what you're wanting to do. And we are skilled in understanding space and light and how to maximize you know areas and how to do good value add so bang for your buck in short and kind of give what you want so we're able to do some design variations some research inform you about what the planning process involves also about the other professionals that you may need to hire such as structural engineers um, quantity surveyors and contractors project managers and then your subcontractors which i'll get to in a second and then just guide you slowly through the process Architects, they do vary from practice to practice. Um, Some are very large scale. Some are, you know, just one or two woman or man bands. And, you know, the scope of their work and the way that they work can be very different. So, like I said before, architecture in the built environment, it is a very emotional and personal endeavor. So reach out to your architects and, and see if you have a good yeah, good relationship going on. And that's really important. In selecting an architect, it's not just looking at the size of their practice and their fees. It's also, do you like the person? Yes. Yes. I can't emphasize this enough. I mean, I I work with people that I like. And I mean that on a professional scale, but also on a client base. And, you know, I was I was invited to a project that looked, you know, very savvy and quite exciting from the outlook. And at a meeting with this uh, a prospective client and... I think just what she wanted was not what I would best serve her with as as my interest and in, in what I can offer her. Um, there was just a you know a conflict of of interest and, and intentions and you know so and I think you have to be really honest about that. Don't be shy about that. I mean, be be picky. This is this is your home. So, um, but following on further from that, so what your architects can do is is you develop you know, ideas, and then you refine them um, through a feasibility study and and create drawings for planning permission. And once you get planning, that's basically the local authority saying, yep, you're allowed to do this, right? Post that before you start your building works, you need to make sure that you you get a structural 
get the structural drawings done and really solidify how the building's going to be built. Where does the pipe work go? Where do the toilets go? How does the ventilation work? You know, where do the structural steels go? Yeah. And this is and this is really this is really complex. It may seem like a really simple, oh, well, I'm doing the same extension that all of my neighbours have done. I'm going up into the attic, you know, I'm converting that, a loft conversion into another bedroom. But yeah. in actual fact, you do have to think about, uh, you mentioned there uh, what, what in the industry is called MEP. So your kind of your electrics and your plumbing and your ventilation. Also thinking about, I'm sure you use other specialist consultants, fire consultants, acoustic consultants. Yeah, exactly. And that also has to do with the, you know, the scale of the project, um, the scale of your budget. And like you've got relationships with all those people. You don't have yeah, to. Yeah, definitely. What I'm saying is that someone's doing a small loft conversion. They're not going to need, you know, a basement specialist um, mm-hmm. that builds acoustic paneling for, for, you know, extreme cinemas or does underground swimming pools and yeah. deal with a with the moisture content of walls there so i mean and i think your architect will be able to to liaise with their network of of people that they trust and they know so i always work um hand in hand with my engineers i enjoy um designing with engineers this is um quite often what gets you the most economical de- uh, design up in the end right and i would say that's also to your interest to hire well um you'll see people that they do their extensions it looks beautiful and then after two years you start seeing cracking in the walls because they didn't put an expansion joint in there so when uh there were large temperature variations there was movements in the wall and they just didn't get the right professionals in that know how to read buildings like that so basically what what you quite often need is you need an architect and you need a structural engineer you need to submit to planning you need to submit to building control and a quantity surveyor is somebody who is a little bit like an accountant of building materials, right? So they get you the costings. A lot of contractors have a quantity surveyor service built in. So you um, select your your contractors, and I'll get that to there in a second. And you send out, you know, your detailed drawings, your scope of works, which is very, basically like a very detailed prospectus of of what kind of materials you want, right? Like, do you are you going to have lined oak flooring or are you going to have vinyl? Those are yeah. And, and, I, and I talk about this in the in the podcast where we talk about the five stages doing a renovation or extension in that design it phase as well as having the designs and drawings that you're talking about that's that you called it the scope of work sometimes it's also called the specification yeah it's that shopping list isn't it of what oh, you need list. exactly yeah. exactly so and you know and and the contract will get back to you with, with a price right of, of how much the works are expected to cost when looking for a contract i, I want to do a little bit of a, a little celebration for um contractors builders i have a huge respect for them and i think that they're quite largely underrated or they're given quite often a bad rap and i find them i mean i love i love the contractors that i work with i'm hugely impressed with them i think that they're having that really close relationship where you can trust your builder and and, and resolve problems together is such um, a great and, I love, and i love that you said that because i'm gonna i'm gonna hold my hands up and say i think 90 percent of actually the knowledge i have is because of amazing builders that I've worked with. Yeah. Who I've learned the theory and they've gone, yeah, Abby, in practice, here's what. <laughs> Tell and me about a hundred stories of where I've worked on sites and how it works. And you're like, no way, really? And they're like, yeah, that's how it and the, it's a, the level of knowledge that there is. And I'm talking to someone who has three degrees. So I'm well aware of the level of knowledge you have. But I'm talking about that site experience is 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 that's the university of life. 
right that's worth its weight in gold yeah and and no matter how good your architect is and how well your your project is designed and how much has gone through all of the all of the protocols and systems you will still find problems on site mm. i'm currently oh. on a site and we had a plan to, to dig out some of the existing foundation and we're going to extend and uh we started yeah digging into the ground and found out that there's basically a four inch foundation of brick <laughs> which is nothing nowadays it's you know minimum yeah. meter right so and if i started digging on that the house would collapse so on site what are we going to do about this you need to find a solution because you know otherwise your project doesn't go on so so and with your contractors go around go go shopping for your contractors go by recommendation when i first came here i went to 14 construction sites to meet 14 contractors and when i found a few that i liked and i'm not just talking about you know i think you're a cool guy joe i think <laughs> You know, I mean, you know, the kinds of way that they're working and also the way that they're interacting with their team, their quality, how they're dealing with um, tough situations. You know, I went to some other sites a couple of times. I mean, and that was my due diligence. I mean, I have to be clear that I, I was coming here from Switzerland, so I had to build that network. But I had to be very, very sure that the people that I was going to be working with were of a high standard. And they they are out there. They exist. And, you know, I think it's very important that you also find contractors that you know treat their team well that pay their team on time you know everybody needs to be in a good working environment i agree with you completely now and you you mentioned you're going to say that help us difference between builder and contractor because we kind of interchange the terms there Ooh, one sounds more impressive <laughs> <laughs> but really same same right yeah. well yeah. Oh, basically yes i mean you, you with contractors, you engage it. You know, you 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 make a contract with them, and they they do their project quite often. They will have they will subcontract. They will they will find other builders to to do the other work. So or a specialist. So your your builder who becomes your contractor when you enter a contract with them may subcontract the electrical work because they get in a specialist who is NIC EIC registered. Exactly. Exactly. Subcontractor, builder, Sparky, electrician. All of these are interchangeable terms. Yeah. And it's okay to ask if there's ever a term and you go, oh, I don't I don't know who that is. It's okay to say, what, what do you mean by that? And and I think you should. I mean, I'm not going to lie, despite my my experience and, you know, me being quite comfortable on construction sites, there are definitely times where I'm I've had I've had builders that won't even kind of engage with me or look me in the eye because I'm a woman and well, I obviously don't know anything. So I understand that. We're, we're, we're talking about the good side of it. No, no, we are talking about the good side, but I'm just, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that there's going to be a huge amount of listeners here that are going to be nervous about asking their builder, like, what's a damp proof course? Mm. And they don't want to appear stupid and they're worried that they'll get the wool taken over the eye. So just don't be, ask everything. That's that's what we're here for, right? We're, we're, we're here to actually build beautiful things. <laughs> And for the, and what we want, the objective of this podcast is for everyone to have a brilliant experience doing it. Yeah. It's not just a destination, it is the journey. Now, I'm going to pick you up there because we talked about some technical terms and kind of demystifying them. So you're an architect developer. What's that mean? As an architect, I get hired by a client, right? Somebody says, I've got this building, I've got this piece of land or, you know, and I would like a school built here or a house built here or whatever. And then I design that and I make all the drawings and I send over. 
developer gets more involved in the concept side, so in the very beginning, so finding those sites. So okay. you know, I, I can hunt around and look for, you know, land or unloved sites, buildings that have just become dilapidated or whatever. And then I engage with other joint venture partners or investors to, to create a scheme, and I design it as well. And I am, like you said before, a social entrepreneur, so my architecture is very social in general. And um, I think developers have a bad rap. I, I'm not going to say that's not understandable, but I also think that there's a lot of good developers out there. I think what we do at Loki is we get a network and a team and associates of very high level qualified people, but that we share a value system, right? We want to make the world a better place. I know that sounds a bit fluffy, but you know we want to enrich communities and neighborhoods through our design. But someone's got to do it. we're here we're here don't worry (laughs) every single listener is going to be able to think straight away of something they've seen it's been built that they just think is horrendous and you know you don't have to be an expert to look at something and go it doesn't sit with the street scene you know it's incongruous or you can tell that the level of light isn't sufficient inside or there's no green space. Or, or they're trying to squeeze 12 people in a, in a two-bedroom or three-bedroom place. I mean, yeah, we can all yeah. think of it straight away, can't we? Even, yeah. even those of us who live in you know, London where the demand is there, so we understand why it's been done. We can just tell it's just not very good quality. But this is also just what good design has to do. So making sure that, that you know buildings are done sustainably and i am talking about ecologically sustainable sustainability so to make sure that you know the building fabric is robust and of good quality and you know when you know as much as i like to pretend that my buildings are going to be around in 800 years there is a you know a small percentage that somebody might move in there later and want to do a little extension change some things but those building materials that i've built with they should be able to return to the earth so the embodied energy and that they you know also we've got fuel poverty in this country but that's that's just a bit ridiculous to be clear because we have that building knowledge of how to build well insulated good quality buildings so people can spend you know less on their build on their um, energy bills so and if this is of particular importance to you and I think more and more well all of us want our monthly costs to be as low as possible so we can live the best life we can but a lot of us also have our own vision of wanting to have a leave as little mark on the earth as we can so when, again, when you're engaging with an architect like yourself, you get to have those conversations and say, how do I do that without it tripling the cost of my my extension or my renovation? Yeah, and I mean, I'm doing an eco house, so it's called an eco house now. And it's, it costs the same, if not cheaper than a standard build. Which is amazing. And, and it's not rocket science. You just need to do a little bit of research into materials and costing and, and you know, be, you know, find, find good solutions around it. And I mean, I really, really urge people to um, push your architects on this. Architects want to do it. I think clients want to do it. There are solutions out there, and it's not a luxury anymore. It's not. We're not. We're not doing eco bling anymore. It's. Uh, I mean, look at the yeah. road. It's. It's. It's pertinent that we that we do it. And I know what you're talking about there, where you say eco bling. I'm thinking of kind of episodes of grand designs where someone has got something that's incredibly expensive and innovative, you know, from overseas. It does. Is it viable? It does it work for them? So we've been talking about your expertise, which is clearly absolutely broad, ranging from developing land all the way through to res- working with residential customers and project managing and overseeing their build. But help me and. This is something that we all want to know about, but are too embarrassed sometimes to ask about. How much should I be spending on this advice? 
Right. Everyone's comfortable talking about money, aren't they? <laughs> Awkward laugh. So again, I mean, architecture offices um, and practices, they, you know, vary greatly. And you need to, you just need to be upfront and, and see how the different processes are. I think I'm going to actually raise you another level on, on this one, Abby. And I think I'm just going to, to give an example of... Oh, um, I love it. Yes. You know, just just get the numbers in. And, and I, I would like to be... Because I, I find that there's just so much percentage and so much, it's so vague and people don't really know what that means. So I'll give an example of, of projects that I'm working on now. It's a small, a smaller project. It's a mid-terrace property and the client would like a loft conversion and a rear extension or a side extension, sorry, in the back. So it's, it's not particularly um, large. And in this one, um, what we decided with the client is that I would do a feasibility study. And a feasibility study is to see what the different options are, what the affordability of these options could be, guide guide prices, and you know what that could mean in terms of planning and impact on the neighbourhoods. This, this is at the research stage, isn't it? Someone's investing to research and go, what options have they got available to them? Yeah, and, exactly. And you've got some, you know, some base drawings from them. So I mean, for this, and in, in this process. I will do some plans, some elevation sections, and then some site analysis, and then um, a bit of um, a mood board. I think that's also very important. So with the client already from the beginning, we're aligned on, you know, what we're imagining the space could be and what we would like for it to be. And for this particular project, the price is 2200 And this is not always the case. And, and I really want to be clear, because I'm sure that there's some architects that are rolling their eyes at the moment, that this is just for this particular project. Now, Unlike other disciplines, architects don't often work on day rates. Um, I do sometimes work on a day rate, and that's, you know, it's between 450 and 1,000 pounds per day, depending on the type of the work and the scale, right? Yeah. But usually, um, our feasibility studies, I agree that directly with the client, and we try to make a fixed amount and a fixed understanding of what that is. And this one, the amount of work that was required called for that. If the client, at that point, you hand that over and, you know, they can do what they want with it. Maybe they just put it on the shelf and they keep it there until, yeah. until another day and they, they want to take that to the next level or or they want to take it to the next stage. And if they hire me to to bring that to planning permission, then we do more um, detailed drawings, right? So then that that is really going in the nitty gritty and actually doing a very comprehensive design design drawings and the full application. From this point, then architects take usually a percentage, and architects usually charge between eight and fifteen percent, depending on their level of expertise and their experience, um, their positioning in the office, their you know how involved they are going to be in the project. I personally like to be involved through the whole phase. This is how I ensure that. Um, everybody is is happy and we're getting the work done the way that we like it. So I'm do I do project management as well. So I'm on the construction site for at least four days a week and you know liaising on that level. And I'm the face and point of contact for you know neighbors or people if they've got any questions. So that's that's the way that I work. So in this particular one, I took a 15%. I took my fee was 15% of construction costs. Yeah, and so to be absolutely explicit, and I know that our listeners are all intelligent people, but if you've got a three hundred thousand pound cost of your build for your extension, that's mm-hmm. a lot of money. We we're both in London, so yeah, that's not un- unreasonable sometimes. That would that's a percentage. So you take it of the of the value of the build, yes. and your percentage is then on top of that. So it's a percentage of that value on top. 
Yeah, and this is, I think, where things can get a little bit confusing because from the very beginning, people want to know how much something costs. How, how much does this cost? Yeah. And it's highly dependent, right? So, I mean, I'm, I'm doing um, on a different project um, an extension and let's just talk about the kitchen for one second. So there, in the beginning, we said, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll find a, a, a very savvy, cool designs, but very economical option. We'll do kind of a IKEA carcass. And then, you know, we get our own doors put on. Fabulous work surface on it. Exactly, exactly. We choose our own work surface and, you know, and that would could cost you six six thousand pounds. Yeah. Or you can go for, you know, your bespoke handmade kitchen, which will call you, cost you 60 70 80 plus thousand more yeah right? and and so i'm unable to tell client from the get-go hey this is how much your project is going to cost because people always change their mind and i mean it happened on the project i'm talking about the intention was to go with the first kitchen and we're getting we're getting a different kitchen <laughs> yeah. but also that's that's why that research stage that you were we were alluding to uh, and I've talked about in a previous podcast where you're getting together all of your images your inspirational images of the lifestyle you want to lead the look you want to have is useful because if someone's showing you lots and lots of pictures of what you know to be those really really bespoke high-end finishes and brands like Sub-Zero and Wolf which are yeah you know, £30,000 for a refrigerator, 50 grand for an oven. And yeah. then saying, I'm thinking I can spend 10 grand on my kitchen. You can immediately help manage that expectation with them. Yeah. And I think, I think your architects will help you and should help you determine what drives costs. Mm. So, you know, if you want on the first floor and a cantilevered glass extension, mm. you know, th- there's a certain amount of structural, <laughs> structural rigidity that to be put in. I love, I love the exhale that went with that. You're like, oh, there's a lot of hassle. There's a lot of structural hassle. But that, but it drives costs, right? And, and 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 that's what I mean. I mean, you know, architects. What we what we try to do is we try to give you the most. Well, not all, but most of us try to do give you the, the most for what is in your budget. And and so we would say that you know a loft conversion ballpark again varies from project to project, hundred to hundred fifty thousand pounds. And so when we're talking about costs, right? So what you will have is your professional fees, and your professional fees include you know hiring your architect hiring your engineer which you can do separately or your engine or your architects can organize yeah. for you because quite often they've got very good contacts and you'll quite often need to get a few surveys be them ecological surveys or ground condition surveys sites or there's different kinds of surveys again check your uh, local authority planning portal and you'll see there's some areas of natural outstanding beauty or some area that are very great breeding grounds for bats. So, so it, it's, it varies case, case to case. Um, but so, so your surveys will be a cost, your professional fees will be a cost, then your planning applications and your building control. And this is planning applications, a few hundreds, building control, you know, a thousands. Mm. They have a sliding scale, don't they, for the value? Yeah, they, they do have a sliding scale, yeah. but, but, do, but do check that. And so an architect and the engineer take a percentage of project costs in general, yeah. right? And you can do a rule of thumbs, guideline prices of, so what's fairly standard here in the Southeast, and I think is fairly reasonable, is around 1,750 to 2,000 per square meter. This is for the cost for a build? The cost of a build. I mean, again, this varies. You've got people doing, you know, three, four thousand per square meter and they have gold bathtubs and you've got other people that are just upcycling a lot and theirs is a lot lower. So, um, but if but if you just want a starting point, right, just 
put, put 1750 or 1800 per square meter and then add your contingency. A contingency is your, you know, <laughs> it, it's your, it's your extra pocket of money on the side for, for when things go wrong or there's, you know, unexpected costs or things that you forgot about, which happens in every project, no matter how good you are. Right. And the standard in the industry is about 10%. I always do 20% because it doesn't hurt. And, um, you know, there's small things that you just don't really account for. I mean, you, you start digging and, you know, there's a big hole or maybe there's subsidence or, you know, delivery costs that you weren't expecting or a product. Why, why one I always absolutely forget about. And I was just musing this morning, one of the podcast series that we're doing is with a, a wonderful sculptor. And I was thinking about, I had to crane a sculpture in and the sculpture had been budgeted for, the groundworks, the preparation for the location of the sculpture had been budgeted for, hadn't budgeted to crane it in, and as you can imagine, that wasn't cheap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's your it's your I forgot about, I didn't expect, I didn't know. Yeah. It's the, and, and I agree with you. Ten percent is optimistic, twenty percent is realistic, and surely it's better to budget for twenty percent and come in at fifteen. Yeah, you always feel like you save money. You yeah. want to, you know, tap yourself on the back. And and what also drives cost big time is change. Changes, making changes, especially in the construction phase. People will come to the space and go, actually, can we have the toilet over there? <laughs> so so when you go for planning, you know, be clear. Make sure that you understand the space that you're doing and that you're happy with it. And um, and the more detailed, you know, your scope of works, which is this, you know, shopping list of materials are, the more accurate your your um, builder will be able to give you a costing for it. Brilliant, absolutely fantastic. It was such a comprehensive answer, and thank you so much for your honesty about some of those percentages and some of those rates that you're charging. Because you know that's it's really difficult for people to find those answers, and it is varied based on individual by individual but actually it's good to know I've got three pound fifty in my back pocket is it going to be enough not a chance yeah you know let's be honest about it we're all adults we can deal with that honesty now coming talking about you you know you're kind of your customer so our listeners then thinking yourself in your position as an architect and project manager do you like someone who's got loads and loads of ideas or do you prefer someone who just leaves it all up to you with no ideas whatsoever Personally, I mean, yeah, I do like it when people have ideas. I mean, you have the whole range of people. I mean, I've had clients, they have no idea. They just basically say, tabla rasa, do what you will. And it's the thing is that people do have opinions. So that can get a little bit challenging because you start doing something like, well, actually, I'm not sure I like that. <laughs> and I, find, I, I meet a lot of people who say, oh, no, no, I have no taste. I don't, I don't. And I guarantee if I show them three things, they'll be able to pick the one they like. Well, exactly, exactly. People know they can't always articulate it or they're not confident. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely know what I want. And some people just don't know until you start giving them options. So, I mean, I basically never have that situation where clients don't know. They're just not really sure how to articulate it and they haven't been able to percolate, you know, what their specific interests are. And so, you know, we start, you know, and that's part of the process is we start sifting through, getting images, getting, you know, ideas, you know, but it's like, but what do you like from that? And you try to extract um, from that. Um, And then you've got the other scale where you've got people that have, you know, a lot of a lot of ideas. They almost want to micromanage every specific thing. You know, what I would really encourage, you know, the listenership to to do is, you know, personalize. Don't don't just see something on the internet and say, I want that and copy. You know, we're in this age of this Instagramization of of you know yeah, everything being perfect, right? Yeah. Everything and it's like a magazine but in someone's home. 
and I mean, for me, my my architecture is it's about space and light, and I quite like it when you know people bring in their flavor and their you know personal style. I mean, my clients, some of them were totally aligned of what we like, and for me, that's also very exciting because I get to bring my you know design interest in and, and you know my specializations in and just kind of drive that. Other ones we're totally different with what we like you know I'm not I'm not I don't really love sparkles and, and, and chandeliers and, and, and pink glitter and that but some people do and that's great that's your home exactly and so and I always Bridget, I always say this to all of my, every single one of my clients they live in the house yeah. after I've left I don't live in it yeah it's their choice not ours and don't be bullied I mean listen listen to the design advice that you get but, but it's just spatial right that should be more and and if you're doing something that has a very very strong character that might that you might be bored of in a year or two so it's just a fad your architect might encourage you to apply those things that are easily changeable you don't have to rip out a whole kitchen because you've done the whole thing in neon pink instead which can be painted <laughs> just 30 quid yeah, exactly exactly so just saying but so I think in this way, I mean, I really like working with people. And I think through collaboration, you you really, it's a lot, it's it's very rich. I mean, I don't want the whole world to look like what everything from me, right? It's That's what, that's why we like going out to different restaurants and t- trying different cuisines, right? It's because we like the, the diversity of all the flavors and the, you know, and the textures. And and I think architecture is very much about that. And it needs to be embedded in, in you know, local identity, um, be that from the person or the community or, or the area. And that's absolutely amazing. Now, you, you mentioned there the people who have got all those ideas, the Infinity Pool in Barbados or whatever it might be. Um, what's a great way of them collating and presenting those ideas to you? And if they've got something which a picture can't tell you, like, for example, I, I just simply do not want to be able to hear my husband when he's using the loo. <laughs> right. How how does someone communicate that to you and when? When do they talk to you about that kind of thing? Uh, as early as possible, right? I mean, and let's let's talk acoustics for a second. I mean, yeah, we a lot of the extensions I do, it's because families are getting a bit bigger, but they, you know, they love their neighborhoods and and you know, the kids are becoming teenagers and you know, with it they're bringing home friends and playing loud music and they want to be able to offer that to them, but you know, they don't really want to be listening to um, this fantastic new music of the of the next generation at three in the morning so, <laughs> so i mean and that's you know you've got acoustic panelling you've got different kinds of uh, insulation you have you know you have different techniques basically and de- different technical specifications to resolve those issues but the the earlier that you say that in the design um intent then then the earlier you can you know design around that so later you're not having to plan for it you can budget for it it's not that change exactly okay and worst case scenario is you don't get to the point where you've moved in start using it and then go oh I should have I should have mentioned that yeah I've thought about that yeah yeah and I mean yeah I mean a good architect should also see around that I mean putting up the, the the party room um with a huge jukebox next to you know the granny annex where you know your mother and mother be yeah. sleeping and there's very light sleepers maybe not the best idea I think you know how you feel about your mother-in-law really <laughs> if you don't know to move out it might be <laughs> <laughs> very lucky in this regard <laughs> um, and and what about the what about the, those visual ideas how is it best how can someone present that to you uh electronic do you want pictures ripped out of magazines I mean does anyone even 
everything. I mean, people. Some people are very digitally savvy and don't actually like to leave their computer. Other people don't like computers at all. Take take photographs with your phone. Walk around your neighborhood. Take that photograph of something you like. Or when you go into a cafe and and something looks smart and you're not even sure if it's relevant or not, but you really like that handle on the door or whatever. Take a photograph. Or on the internet, I mean, Pinterest is a little bit like a visual library. If you don't know it, um, check it out. And you can just, like Google, you just write whatever, you know, what you're looking for. So modern, elegant um, kitchen extension. And yeah. just, you know, a plethora of imagery. Oh, my God. More than you could look at, more than there is time available. Yeah, well, yeah, enjoy that rabbit hole when you fall into it. <laughs> Agreed. But it's a, it's a great way to communicate with your architect and with your with your other um, specialists about what you're trying to achieve. And and there are ways, you know, you can say, look, I mean, I really like this, but, I mean, they've got this, you know, mahogany uh, herringbone flooring, and it's really expensive. And it's like, all right, well, maybe you can find a different alternative, like, you know, a bamboo, you know, a bamboo version, for example. Or a, or a vinyl effect, Antico, do some fantastic wood effect flooring. Exactly. Exactly. There's, there's many, many options. Yeah, that's where the experts come in. So the earlier you have that conversation, the the more likely you are to be able to achieve it in your budget. Um, maybe not exactly like what you asked for, but a version of. And then just, I'm really interested to know, do your customers need to know loads of technical terms to be able to work with you? Because we have talked about elevations, we've talked about facade, we've talked about these technical terms. Does it matter if someone says the outside of the house? Bricks? No, 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 no. I mean, I mean, vocabulary, the reason why we have this rich vocabulary is to, be, to kind of specify and identify and to understand different elements of things. But this is also something that we learn through our education and experience, and you're not expected to learn this at all. I mean, this is what we're here for, is to, you know, help guide you through this, you know, and, and try to explain. I mean, this will be a learning process, and it's going to be fun. <laughs> it's going to be good. Um, I mean, I think, I think so. And I love that you say that it doesn't matter because I think the the language can be really intimidating. It is intimidating. And I see people, I see people stumble over it. They desperately want to tell you something, and they're like, "Oh, do I call you a carpenter, a joinery contractor? Uh, what's the? Oh my gosh, I don't want to make the mistake." And actually, it doesn't matter, does it? No, 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 no. I mean, the. You know, we will demystify and de-jargonize and explain everything in, in, in simple terms. So, I mean, you don't need to be worried at all. And it's an open dialogue. So it's not just simply transactional. This relationship, it's personal because, you know, money and home and our personal styles are involved. Right. So. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and back to what you said, it's an emotional endeavor. I love that. It's... Yeah, and I think I think it's I was I was the other day at a at a very exquisite neighborhood, very 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 expensive. I mean, multi million pound properties, and and I walked into this place, and and I mean, it was impressive, it was grand, but yeah. I mean, you couldn't pay me pay me to live there, right? And later later on that day, I went to a small little pokey pokey flat, and I was speaking to um to this man, and he was just a bit. Uh, I don't want to say embarrassed, but just a bit awkward and a bit apologetic. It's like, yeah, I mean, I know you can't really do much, but his space was so rich and so him, and yeah. you know, you really wanted to 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 bring that out. And and I think, and he he, he the also the the reason why I bring it up is in the first place, you know, I think the people there wanted to you know appear very very savvy, and you know, we know what we want, and you're here to kind of <laughs> serve us and blah blah blah. And but it was also there was no personalization to it. It was it was just oh, soulless. For yeah, and 
you know, and I much preferred the second one because there was a lot of soul and character and identity, and there was a lot to enrich. There was there was actually you could really open up the space and create something beautiful that can have a paramount impact. And I think, I mean, we are we are definitely impact driven our practice. So I think you know, for us, that's that's really important. But I think it's not uncommon to find people and they they don't really know what they want. Um, they don't really know how to articulate it. And they're a bit worried because they don't know how much it's going to cost, but they kind of feel like they want something just better. And that's all you need. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the first step. What, what an amazing end note. Now, I know that our listeners are going to be thinking, my gosh, this, this woman is and her practice sounds amazing. How do we find out more about you and contact you? What's your information? Well, um, you can find me by our web- website. So it's uh, lokiarchitecture.com, uh, loki-architecture, L-O-K-I. Also, we're under Instagram under the same handle and or LinkedIn um, under Brigitte Clements. Thanks for having me, Abby. And there's just one little added thought is we're here to kind of empower people. And this is supposed to be fun. Um, don't forget that, you know, keep that end in sight. And it will be disruptive and it will be very stressful. And but it's it's going to be it's going to be fun. And, you know, you get to see what, what good looks like. And my added thought is if you think a professional is expensive, just wait until you get an amateur. Find good people around you. Find people that lift you up and get you excited about the project. And yeah have a great time making your your home uh, your little haven oh i love it thank you Bridget, from loki architecture and development uh, for more information on today's show any links we've mentioned or to find other episodes please go to eddpodcast.com follow us on instagram and twitter at eddpodcast and please subscribe and rate this podcast as it will help other homeowners learn also how to design their happiness. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you so much, all our listeners. This has been Everyday Design. Bye.